and welcome to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Alan, and I am flying solo for this very brief introduction of our episode. Katie is off doing other things, so you're stuck with me. This week, we are happy and, of course, excited, as we say with all of our interviews, to sit down with my brother and current sitting bishop, Jason Mount. Jason's my oldest brother, and we're going to hear a little bit about our past, a little bit about him as well, and a lot about his experience as a brother and bishop to a number of individuals in his family that have left the church, changed their beliefs. I really look up to Jason. I'm really happy with um, how everything went in this episode. I think it was a it was a great episode, and it was good to talk to him. I get to visit them in a, in a few weeks there in Georgia. And that's going to be the highlight of my year because I love my brothers, I love my sisters, and I love my mom's lake. My mom's here in Salt Lake right now, so I love her, but she's already here. Anyway, uh, before we get to the interview, we did want to give a a brief announcement. Our workshop on a tightrope, the online six-week course that we do with um, Natasha Helford Parker, the second round of it is starting July 28th, and we're actually completely full 100, actually over 100% full. We try to limit it to 20 couples because of the interactive nature of the workshop. We added a few more that reached out after we had already gotten rid of the 20 seats. And I guess 40 if you multiply by two for a couple. But we added a few others because typically some uh, one or two couples isn't able to make every single live session. So even... Opening a few spots, those went away rather quickly as well. We're overwhelmed with the support and with the the response to the workshop. We weren't planning on doing a third workshop this calendar year, but because of of, of the response, we are now strongly considering doing a September start date uh, workshop as well. So if that is of interest to you, we're not opening up any registrations for it at the moment. But we'd like to gauge, gauge rather a little bit of interest. If you can send an email to marriageonatightrope at gmail.com because of your interest, that would be great. Uh, that's the, really the only announcement that we have for now. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Marriage on a Tightrope. You can email us at the email already listed, marriageonatightrope at gmail.com. And if you don't want to talk to us, reach out to one of your loved ones that you want to have a fierce conversation with, a difficult conversation understanding conversation about where you're at, where your marriage is at, where they're at, uh, do that as well. We encourage you to reach out and have those tough conversations because that's where the growth happens. My friends, my tightropers, we love you. We hope you have a wonderful July 4th weekend, 2020, if you're listening in real time or in the next few days. And we hope you enjoy this interview with my big brother and one of my childhood and adulthood idols, Jason Mount. Hi, Katie. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> you can hey. start over. Hey, stranger. Yep. See, we are fully supportive of this guest just jumping right into it and just yelling hello to Katie. And so, except for the duration of our entire relationship, you've always called her Caddy. Caddy. <laughs> yes, I have. Because it's spelled with two T's and it's yeah. always intrigued me. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Me too. Both of us. Jason. It's always intrigued her. We are very, very happy to be joined by my brother, Jason Mount. Jason, welcome to Marriage on a Tightrope. Thank you. I'm honored to be joining you both. Uh, Jason, you are currently my favorite brother-in-law. 
Hey. So, Whoa, Cameron. Let me let me tell you. Well, I have <laughs> other brother-in-laws. Don't tell Cameron that. Too. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, we opened our door, and there was a giant, like, giant Walmart box on our doorstep. And I said to Alan, Alan came downstairs and I said, did you order something from Walmart? And he said, no, did you? And I said, no. And it was addressed to both of us. So we opened the box and lo and behold, 150 packages of ramen. (laughs) 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 And Alan and I were totally perplexed. We posted on social media because we were like, who sent us ramen? Is this genius? Is this a joke? Is it poison? Is it poison? <laughs> Did, and you know what, you know what else Al, Alan and I thought is, we thought, was there an episode that we talked about ramen and someone <laughs> randomly sent us ramen? But we couldn't. And then lo and behold, it was Jason and you Alan's cousin. And my cousin. So... What was that decision like? How did that come about? We have one who lives in Arizona, and um, he's been a like a close cousin and friend to me forever, and just like a brother actually. And so we still chat. He's a lawyer, and um, and I'm a physician, and he's very liberal, and I'm kind of I guess I'd consider myself very conservative. So we argue and banter, and we have for decades. And uh, every once in a while, we'll think of something random, and he came up with this great idea: let's send Alan and Katie 150 boxes of ramen. And and another item, which is still coming, it's a little behind, but it's coming to add to the ramen, so that'll be coming soon too. <laughs> so we oh my decided God. to do random stuff. Oh well, enjoy it, the ramen. It actually made our Monday so much fun, and then also the kids used the box. I don't know if you saw the picture I posted. Yes, they used it was the box awesome. to like make a like a NASA ship spaceship. And and so we we got hours of entertainment and meals ahead of us. So thank you, Jason. <laughs> now, okay. That's awesome. Jason. <laughs> I didn't even think about the huge box. <laughs> and you I, know what? It wasn't even that expensive. <laughs> I, I know. Jeff, I talked to Jeff because he called Brilliant. me our cousin. And he, uh, he told me, he's like, we just ordered enough to get free shipping. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which came in to terms of ramen, in terms of ramen, it's a whole lot of ramen. So. <laughs> uh, we have many lunches that can be prepared by our own children to thank you for uh, that. We don't have to figure out lunch for them. They can just make it themselves. They make it that's themselves. right. I think there are websites with hundreds of ramen recipes too. So you can go to town. That's right. I would recommend to our listeners just throwing a splash of a uh, tapatio in it. I have a, a chili <laughs> garlic tapatio, and it really heightens heightens the uh, the the ramen experience. For me, it's the boiled egg. Oh, you like to add the I boiled like egg? I like the soft boiled egg. Yeah, mm, delicious. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit higher in culture. I chop up a hot dog when I make ramen. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I we really want people to. I want to give everybody that's listening a sense of the relationship that you and I have, the history that you and I have. Oh my so heavens. <laughs> what, I, what I'd like to do is just a few days ago was your birthday. I'm not going to embarrass you by reading the entire Facebook post that I posted because I praised you until I knew you would blush because you don't like, <laughs> you do not like public praise, but I will, however, just, I want to read off the five random, six random memories uh, that that I posted. And these are not praise to you, but these are just memories from our, from our life together. I think it, it says a lot about his personality. Okay, let's do it. It, it did. 
Everyone needs to know, I think, that I'm the oldest, and Alan is the youngest of six, and we're 14 years apart. So there's quite a bit of difference in age. Mm-hmm. So he had an interesting childhood, and I got to watch it happen. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So memory number one, I remember you locked me in my closet and played Thriller through the door on a boombox. <laughs> And I was freaking out, screaming and crying. And you yelled through the door, turn on the lights, you idiot. (laughs) (laughs) You know, let me say, I don't remember that specific, but that's totally something I would have done. But um, I do remember uh, way back then, and it must have been 80s, right? The um, uh, videos were quite new and VCRs were quite new. And one of the first tapes that our father got for some reason was the thriller video with Michael Jackson. And what were you for? Yeah. I mean, when thriller yeah. came out, it was 1982 and that's the year I was born, but maybe we got the video when, oh, wow. when I was four yeah. or five. I mean, I was young. Yeah. I remember watching you. I was probably 17. You were probably three and you, you were kind of, in front of the television in a fetal position on your butt, just watching uh, thriller, you were scared, but you loved it. Okay. So it was a mixture of scare of fear and love. Uh, and so I decided I was going to scare you. So I told our sister, um, Allison and probably Colleen too. And I said, Hey, I'm going to go sneak up in his room and turn on, all the done, um, tell him he needs to go upstairs and get his blanket or something like that. And I'm going to sit on his bed. And when he comes in his dark room, I'm going to scare him. So, I sat up there till the video was over and you did it. You came up the stairs and it was dark up there. You, there was no lights. And then I could see your silhouette in your yep. room <laughs> as I was sitting on the bed. And at that moment, I put my hands around my mouth and I said, thriller, just like that. <laughs> and I watched you do a little scaredy potty dance with your arms waving in the air. And I cried until I peed my pants, I think. It was great. <laughs> so anyway, yes. that's the thriller thing for me. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, fast forwarding a number of years, I, I recall moving your entire family from Louisiana to California to Santa Clarita. And you and I, just the two of us, unloaded a, let's just say, a 67-foot moving van. Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, and then while we were taking a much-needed sustenance break at Carl's Jr. down the street, I passed out from holding a long note singing Lady Marmalade in the parking lot. Do you remember that? Rio Lady Marmalade. <laughs> Rio Lady Marmalade. That's right. I, I was, think that I we Christina. both lost consciousness singing uh, Come What May from um, Moulin Rouge. That's right. Together. Full Moulin belting Rouge. out. Oh my gosh, great times. <laughs> uh, I would recommend highly that we have a sing-along version of Moulin Rouge when I'm out in Georgia in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Um, can I can I give my oh, first? We got to have Cameron do it too. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, what's your first memory? I, I have okay, my first it. memory of you, Jason. Okay, so it's Thanksgiving time, and you guys are hosting a big Thanksgiving dinner at your house. But we went like I think it was like a day or two before because we had spent the night at your house. So it was like the day before Thanksgiving, and Alan and I are driving to your place, and I think you were in Valencia, right? Santa Clarita, yeah. Or Santa Clarita, yeah. And we're driving, we're driving up the hill and we get to the top of the hill to turn into your, you know, where, where you live down and you're standing at the top of the hill in your scribes and you were working on a guy who had just gotten in a motorcycle accident right there. And the paramedics were just 
we're just taking him away and we get out of the car and and you're like oh hey like nothing has happened like nothing had happened and then you tell us that guy's not gonna make it and Ellen and I are, and I'm like oh my gosh because you're an ER physician so, so I mean were you just like there like at the right time that that happened I was driving from work and and it came up the hill and this guy had just with his motorcycle um, plowed into the side of a, a truck, like a U-Haul truck of some sort. And he, he basically was dead. And, and I just couldn't believe it. I went, whoa. And so I got out and did all that I know how to do. And there happened to be a nurse there as well. And we both worked together and, until the paramedics arrived. But it didn't look good for him, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all I'm obviously a serious situation, but I learned that day. I got to see the professional side of my brother because he's he is an ER physician, and it was very much like work, Jason. And then, hey, I haven't seen you in a while, Jason. And it just struck nice, me like, oh my nice gosh, nice to meet you. I'm Jason. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, let's go get chocolate shakes. How are you, Patty? <laughs> That's exactly what it was. That's right. Was that when we met? I think that was the first time we met because we ended up. I think watching your kids that night so you and Heidi could go out and then we had Thanksgiving at your house the next day. Oh my gosh, that's just so that's crazy. <laughs> yes. <Surreal. laughs> I'll I'll throw a few rapid fire things here. Uh he didn't only torture me as a kid. He was a very, very good big brother. I have very distinct memories of you picking me up when I was I'd already fallen asleep because I was like, Can I please sleep in your room? But mom and dad didn't like me to sleep in your room. So you would come into my room and pick me up out of my bed and walk me into your bed um, so that we could sleep in the same room together. Yep. I hated and, having my own room and being alone. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I was quite young. I was, <laughs> I was quite young because when I was, I mean, you're 14 years older. So, I mean, I was six when you left on your mission. So I have these memories from a pretty young age. Um, and now yeah. I have a six year old as my youngest. So that's kind of weird. Generations have passed. It was like that. A snap. Right. It? That's right. We could talk, but won't because that's not the purpose of this podcast about all the video games we've played together. Oh my gosh, yes. And currently playing? And current, well, we don't really play together anymore. Uh, but we play with the kids. I do play with your son, uh, Connor. Uh, we play World of Warcraft. What a love. Yeah, it's okay, nice. But we, but we played uh, Asheron's awesome. Call, the, our first big MMORPG for all the nerds out there that are listening. Mm hmm. It was a lot of fun. Your character was Rind. You remember my character? It was a Minidai. Yes. All of my characters were Book of Mormon names. That's and, awesome. I was Korahor for a while. You were Korahor for a yeah. while. You were right. Nihor. Right? I was Nihor in Warcraft, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to choose those Antichrists, and boy, oh boy, how that came true. All right. So, uh, <laughs> and then... And then and the now last... you're Korhor and I'm a Minidai. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we, we switch roles. Um, I, I would have been a Binadai because he's the cool. Well, there you go. That's but right. uh, somebody had already chosen that character name. So I had to look up and like a Binadai's grandfather is a Minidai or something like that. Katie doesn't <laughs> think this is very interesting. So we're going to keep going. Um, <laughs> um, the last thing, and this, this is actually a, a big one. I learned how to play volleyball by watching Jason play volleyball and watching my older siblings play volleyball. We don't talk about volleyball a lot on the podcast because this is not a mixed volleyball podcast. It's a mixed marriage podcast. But Jason played at UC Santa Barbara, was one of, if not the leading blocker in the nation. Uh, if you could see, I'm, I'm doing a textbook block motion. So is Jason. Well done. Um, at UC Santa Barbara. 
And I learned how to be a crazy fanatic volleyball fan by watching Jason and the Thunderdome in Santa Barbara, which was awesome. And that led to many of us going to play Division One volleyball, including me. I got to go play. So thanks for the example there, brother. Yeah, that, that's the Lord's sport, I'm convinced. <laughs> we have a lot of debates in my family because they like basketball, too. And I say, well, you know, first the Lord made basketball, but then when he... No, first the Lord made volleyball, but then when they when he saw that not all of his sons were athletic or fast enough to play it, he created basketball. <laughs> Take that, punks. <laughs> That's right. Well, um, go ahead, Kim. Well, well, Jason, you live in Carrollton, Georgia, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about, right, yeah. about your family, how many kids you have? You have a grandchild on the way. Wow. Yeah, I can't believe that. It's amazing. My wife and I met in Santa Barbara. We were married in my last year of college, and she was mid-college as well. And then we moved to Los Angeles and did the medical school thing, went to Louisiana for a while, did some residency. Once we finished that, we worked in the Los Angeles area for a little while, and then we moved to Georgia, Carrollton, Georgia, which is where we live now. I have five children. The oldest is married, living in Augusta, going to medical school. The second is married, living here in Carrollton, finishing up college, trying to go to medical school. The second is living here, going to college, um, and is figuring out what she wants to do. And then our fourth child is a daughter who will be a senior in high school. And then, well, he's an 11-year-old. So baby it's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's right. Fat baby. And we, just, we did just learn that we'll be grandparents for the first time in December. So we're very excited about that, too. That's a new Congratulations. Thing. A baby boy coming. Yeah, it's neat. I'll just share one little thing about that. One night, very soon after learning that that was going to happen, I remember waking up one morning and just thinking about my oldest son and his wife and this new baby. I dreamed a little bit about, you know, it was being born during a pandemic and what if the baby gets the, the thing. And then I started to actually worry that the infant would get the coronavirus. And, uh, and then I started to, you know, have internal anxiety about it. And then I thought, I just realized, you know, as time has gone on and my kids have moved out and they've become independent, my worry for them has lessened, actually. But now that there's another generation coming up, it's just peaking again. Interesting. <laughs> for all of them. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Wow. Well, that's something we have to look forward to, isn't it? Not for a long time. Not for a long time. <laughs> so, Jason, we wanted to uh, – and I know that was a long introduction to everybody, but you got to understand we love this guy. We want to get. We want to break the ice with all you listeners – by getting to know him a little bit. So I think uh, we really have two purposes for this podcast or two different parts. And we're getting to part one right now, which is uh, what was it like to be a family member, a brother of, of a few individuals that stepped away from the church really in a short period of time? You know, for those listening, we, we interviewed my mother and got her perspective on this uh, 2017, four of my siblings, me plus three of the six kind of stepped away from the LDS church and just wanted to see uh, a lot of our listeners, Jason, they, it's difficult to talk to siblings about these things. Those that, that believe differently, you're not sure if it's going to, you know, fracture a relationship or is it something I should bring up or shouldn't bring up? And I don't want to upset anybody, but I want to be myself. And what do I, what do we do? How do we do this? So I thought it would be great for us to just have a conversation of, your thoughts on the topic. And that's the first part. The second part, which we have not teased out 
but I'll mention here briefly as we get to it, is Jason is, is actually a current sitting bishop uh, of the Carrollton Ward out there in Georgia. And so he was also bishop during that time. Well, how long have you been bishop for? This is the in the fifth year. Yeah, the yeah. fifth year. So you were bishop when all of this happened in 2017. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you have experience as a brother and a bishop with your own siblings going through this. And then, of course, other ward members that you've talked to and things. So we wanted to spend the second part of this podcast talking about your experience as a bishop. And we've already discussed a few questions that our listeners have sent in, and, and I think it's going to be a good discussion. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. You know, the I just wanted to say that I might find it difficult to to split myself as a brother or brother-in-law both um, from my role as a bishop because it's just me. Yeah. And I, there, there are some things where I have to put on a bishop hat, you know, because there's certain ways we, we have to act. Right. But, but generally it's just me. And so with that being said, um, my answers questions, which I'm fine with, um, they, you know, I might not be right. I might not be doing it right. A lot of it, in fact, there's nothing in the manual on how to treat this topic. <laughs> we don't receive any training as you'll see one of the questions asked. Um, so there's a lot of uh, just go out there and do it bishops as best you can, you know? Right. Right. And, and, and so some bishops may do it very well and some bishops may do it very poorly. Yeah. Uh, not because they're bad, just because they don't know what to do. And they're just flying by the seat of their pants, varying scales in different areas. So take that in mind. Also, I haven't had any time to prepare for the questions. So often, often when people approach me and they ask questions in this area or any area, Sometimes I'll say, you know, what, will you give me a day or two to think and ponder and pray on it? And then I'll come back and, and give you my thoughts. I'm not able to do this with this. So tomorrow I may think, you know, that's not actually what I would do. But you guys are going to hear my initial thoughts anyway. <laughs> no, that's great. And thank you for, for doing that. I think just with the nature of how busy life is for both you and for us, it's just kind of here we are and we haven't really planned. <laughs> so, um, and honestly, yeah, that's right. We're completely happy if you want to answer with, you know what, I'll have to think about that. And that's, that's completely fine. Interviewing mom, she actually told me a couple of days ago that she's like, can we do a part two? Because I thought of a lot of things I would have liked to say. I know. I'm sure. I'm sure you guys do that every time you do a podcast. Like, oh, darn it. <laughs> that's right. Maybe, I mean, one thing that you mentioned, I maybe think we could kick off the conversation as as a brother you mentioned you know, some bishops they do very well with it some don't do very well with it just no fault of their own perhaps but they just don't know exactly what to do what what do you see your role as as a brother when this started happening in in 2017 did you have any kind of thoughts of like okay what should i do here what's a good way to support versus a bad way bad quote unquote way to support what do you think about sort of your approach as a loving brother so that's a, that's a good question because I thought about that a lot. You know, and it, when when you talk about what our dad would have done, he would have been aggressive. <laughs> yep, he, <laughs> he would have flown out, flown out, and confronted. Now I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's his personality. That's his, yep, and it actually may. I'm not saying it would have changed anything, but it may have made you think. It may have made him think. He probably would have learned some things too. I'm not like that. Thing. I don't like that feeling. So I knew that I wasn't going to go and confront and argue. I don't, I don't see that as my role. Um, so I did a lot of thinking about, you know, what should I do? What can I do? How should I act? And I made it a matter of prayer, of course. Yeah. And, and I felt, 
you know, push come to shove that I should be really no different as I've always been with my siblings. Now you weren't, you know, beating your children or that you know addicted of. to alcohol or, you know, breaking the law. That Then I think that I could confront and say, what are you doing? That's an right. older brother's role. But when it comes to religion, when it comes to beliefs and, you know, that that's personal. And it, um, and, and my job is to unconditionally accept and love family is greater than religion. I can and say that, I've never felt that you've treated, I feel like you've always treated me personally with that phrase tattooed on your forehead. I've never felt like you've treated me any different or worse, or I've never felt like you've preached to me or tried to never felt that you've told me I was wrong about anything. And I've really appreciated that. Well, thanks. And you know, I would never have, and I've had this with other family members and also members. If, if someone wants to talk about a topic, you know, and I won't argue, but I will debate if they want to. Sure. And, you know, and, and so I decided if ever, if any of my siblings wanted to do that, then I'd be, if it gets heated, it's over. I'm just not, I'm, we can't let these beliefs and issues injure our family relationship. Yeah. I think that pattern is pretty clear with the Lord as well. He, he does not care if someone believes in him or not. If they're injuring other people, he cares very much. But what they believe religiously, he doesn't. Meaning he loves them no matter what. You know? Now, of course, he loves the people, but he will have anger towards them. He won't if you believe differently than others. You know? Yeah. Or not at all. I I have a few, like a perspective. So I remember that Alan first told me about his deep dive into um, like church history. It was on the drive um, in 2017 to Georgia. So we were on our way to Georgia and um, we had, you know, a number of days in the car. And that's kind of when Alan said to me that he was, he had done this deep dive and he doesn't really know how much he believes anymore. And I got, I, we, we got to Georgia and we're usually there for like a month. Right. And so we spent time at every person's house and I was really upset most of the time because I just didn't know what to make of it. Alan said he doesn't know. Alan had said at the time, like, I don't know if I should, if Zaria should get baptized at eight. And I mean, just saying things that were really scary to me. And I, I just, I was really, really upset. And, um, Jason, your, I mean, your wife, Heidi has been like, always, always been such a good listener to me. And, um, I remember her like sensing that I was not, you know, I wasn't feeling great. And then I kind of told her what was going on and I was really upset. And they get so emotional. And so I remember like I called her and I was really upset. I didn't know like what was going on with Alan. And she said, you know, Jason and I have been talking and, and we really want to come to Utah. (laughs) And I'm like, why would you want to come? And she's like, well, it's our anniversary. And I'm like, no, this is like a rescue mission. And, um, and so we went home and then I think like a week or two later, you guys showed up and just spent like the whole weekend with us. And sorry, it meant so much to me because I didn't have, like, at that point, I literally didn't have anyone. I didn't have anyone to talk to. And you guys were like the only people, um, we didn't even tell my parents 
all the way to like, I think it was January of the next year. So I felt pretty lonely, but you were the only ones that knew. And so I, I, for my, from my point of view, maybe, maybe the original thought was that you'd be able to come and talk to Alan and help him work out some of his, you know, worries or history issues or something. But I think like, I think that your purpose was to save me. <laughs> uh, thank you, Katie. I love you very much. and You know it. I know. <laughs> that, I mean, but I think that that just says a lot about who you and your wife are. And you always have given me really good advice because I've come to you a couple of times while we've been in town. And um, that's always, always been helpful. And I think this is the part of you that you, you talked about, like, it's hard to separate the um, bishop from the, you know, the brother. Like, your advice was never to to shun Alan, and it was never to, like, you should think about divorce, even though some of my family members had said that. Like, that was never your your response. You know, you assured me that Alan was a good person and that God would make it all right. And and so I think that both as a bishop and as a person, that was really good, sound advice for me. Like, because you knew Alan's heart. You knew he wasn't doing anything. He was purposely trying to hurt me. And I just felt like that helped me through the, those really, really super dark days. Oh, thanks. I, you know, I remember painful and difficult. And um, I don't envy you that experience. And I'm not coming down on you, Alan. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I, I'm good. I'm good. It's a difficult thing. But like you said, you know, I never tell, I never tell people to get divorced ever. I, I haven't. Well, let me give you a little caveat. I generally speaking, um, as a bishop, I'm not going to tell anyone to get divorced unless there's a, adultery um, or abuse. And even then it'll be carefully, you know, delivered advice. Cause I've, I've seen some couples go through, for instance, adultery and their marriage remains intact and very strong after. So with that, you have to be careful because people can be, can work through that. You know, every situation is different, but those are the only three I would ever consider. I know some years have gone by and you know, you know, your husband and what kind of person he is and he's totally fine with the Lord. Yeah. And so, I mean, and I can't make that judgment. You're not within my um, ward. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that right, but you know what kind of person he is. I think that, I don't know if it's the right time to share it, but there's one scripture that that really helps me measure a person, including myself, and that's in Matthew chapter 20, where the Lord explains, said and done, all the nations will be in front of him, and he will separate those who act the following way on the right. And then he describes, you stand on the right, you, you know, fed me when I was hungry, gave me drink when I was thirsty, clothed me when I was naked, visited me in prison, helped me when I was sick, etc. And of course, you know what people say that I didn't ever see you do with any of those things. And he says, if you do it unto the least of these, my brother, and you've done it unto me, so you go to the left. Um, he, if you notice, he says the all nations will be there. He doesn't ask, you know, what church they belong to. He doesn't ask if they really believed in him or not. It's how they treated other people. That's, that's, that's how he will separate according to the Bible. 
all of my siblings are the type of people who um, would do anything for anyone. If there was someone hungry, they'd give them food. If they were naked, they'd give them the clothes off their back and that, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's Alan, <laughs> married to that kind of guy, which is great. And, and so that, that advice spills over into the bishop realm, just not the way I think about family. Yeah, of course. You know, I, you gave me a piece of advice when I was out there in Georgia in 2017, that same summer that Katie was having a much harder time than I realized, I guess. <laughs> no, I knew she was having a hard time, but you gave me some advice. We were driving over to mom's, just you and I, and everyone else was there and they were waiting for us. And you and I were talking and we could tell on the, in the car that we weren't going to have time to finish the conversation unless we pulled over. So we pulled over. You remember this? <laughs> yeah, vaguely. Oh, I do remember. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think one of the greatest pieces of advice that you gave me that I still uh, use in all of this mixed faith marriage stuff is just have patience, like slow down. You don't have to decide everything. You don't have to decide your future in this summer or this moment or in this day, just calm down. And this, this was likely the same day I had told Katie, I don't think Zara should get baptized, which that was three years ago. She just turned eight this April. So that was three years before she even turned eight. And you didn't, you didn't specifically, I don't even think you knew that, that I had said that to Katie, but, but to me, that was like, why am I worrying about something that's three years away? And why am I trying to solve all of these problems in one moment? So that the advice that you gave to me still resonates. It doesn't matter that, that I ended up um, believing differently than you, that, that sound advice, no matter what side of belief you're on. Right. And I think that is important advice for any couple like yourself, where one believes and wants to, you know, attend and be active in the church and one who doesn't is that both sides need to respect and try to really uh, understand where the other is coming from. Yeah. And you, Alan, actually should be a Katie because you've been where Katie is. So you can empathize with her better than she can empathize with you. <laughs> you know? Right, right. So the person that doesn't believe needs to have respect and uh, understanding of the desires of them to do things such as have their son receive the ironic priesthood or their daughter get baptized or whatever it is. But then Katie has to realize and try to understand where Alan's coming from as well. So it's a, it's a dance. It's really, it's, it's, I'm not going to downplay that. It's significantly different, but there's a lot of other dances that we do as married people where our beliefs and understanding of how things should be are different, mm -hmm. uh, not just in religion everywhere, you know? So, so, you know, that dance you do in other departments as well. <laughs> Let me ask you, um, and I don't know if this has happened in our, in our family or not, but I know that this has happened in people that are listening. If a, if a sibling of, uh, that like me has, that has left or is on the brink of leaving, what do you do if they come at you pretty aggressively of Jason, did you know this? And oh my goodness. And how do you defend this? And, and how can you be a part of this church that believes these things and treats these people this way? If someone comes in, come you know, running hot. First, let's talk just family member. I know that there's a there's a component. Maybe someone has done that in your bishop's office as well. But I think I know the answer just based on who you are and what you've said already. <laughs> but how do you handle a situation like that? Yeah. So you're saying when someone comes at me pretty upset that why do you believe this way when it's you know whatever? Is that what you're yeah. Saying? Yeah. Like um, someone comes up to you and names, and I'm being I'm being gen generic and vague. 
if a sibling comes to you and they're like, how can you, how can you support a, a church that, that treats this, these people this way or treats me or my, my family member this way. And you just sit idly by just blah, blah, blah. Have you, ever, I'm not sure if you've had an experience like that, but what approach yeah. do you take in reacting to a situation like that? Yeah, that's a, well, I mean, I think the, the soft and gentle approach is the best way <laughs> sometimes. And I've, I have had members of the ward who've come up with disagreements like confront confrontationally like that. And um, sometimes you can't diffuse them, you know, and you, you just have to agree to disagree. And um, I kind of cheat a little. I always, I always try to return to the savior being the Prince of peace. When you start talking about him and focusing on how he would think, everything seems to kind of calm down a little bit, you know, and just my experience. It doesn't always work. Sometimes a person doesn't just, they need to be angry and that's okay. And, you know, I'll express, I'll express to them ultimately, especially at the end, even if we haven't agreed and they're still mad, I'll say, you know, no matter what, no matter what you believe and what I believe, I still love you and will do anything for you. So I don't want you to leave the office or my house or whatever thinking that I think poorly of you or that I'm angry with you because I'm not that type of thing, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Jason, switching gears just a little bit, we wanted to um, ask you some of the questions that our listeners wrote to us unbeknownst to them that you are Alan's brother. So uh, this is not like we're, we're not putting him under attack here. We're not um, trying. That's not our motive whatsoever, but people are interested in knowing from a Bishop's perspective, um, how, how you deal with some of these mixed faith marriages and, and problems that, people are facing today with their own bishops. So I'm just going to start asking some of the questions. Let's see. And this one would be a good one for me to ask. So what advice um, do you have for the believing spouse? So for someone like me of how to survive this, at least in the beginning, it feels like a survival. It's really hard and you don't want to resent your spouse. So if you could offer any advice or, and or resources um, to those who are still believing in in. Oh, wow. The resources part, I'm fairly uneducated on, I'll admit. If they, if they wanted a book or they wanted a resource, I, fortunately, our, our brother Cameron is a very good psychologist and counselor. And I've, I still come and members of the church to him for counseling purposes because he's extremely talented and, um, and very trustworthy. Um, so I would go to him and try to find resources. There's another man in our ward who's a counselor who I respect very much, and he's always a source. So when, when, when you're getting into the realm of counseling, I, I tend to defer to those who are professional, and so I would. On the spiritual end, which, you know, I'll say I'm no expert, but that's really what I'm supposed to do as a bishop. I try to, to, try to explain to people um, in this situation, and really any, what, you know, what, what we think that we want, how our life to go, what we would, what would we like to see is to have every child get married in the temple, for instance, every child go on a mission, um, everyone have um, a perfect family and no problems, no health issues, no accidents, no death. We want them to live ripe old ages without having any illness or injury. We want them all to, to um, exist in happiness and peace and wealth. That's what we want. <laughs> and, and, but that's not how it is. And that's actually not good for a person's growth either. It's like trying to be a college athlete without lifting weights because it's hard or because it tears your muscles. 
it, it's going to have to suck a little bit for you to get stronger. And so the Lord put some of us here paralyzed. He put some of us here with same gender attraction. He put some of us in marriages and the other one isn't. He's going to give us children that have disabilities. He's going to have us lose our job. These things are going to happen. And when a person comes to me like you did, Katie, saying, what, what am I going to do? This is not going the way that we want it to go. Um, I think the Lord doesn't really, I mean, of course he cares about everything, but he's not really looking at uh, making our lives perfect just to grow and to learn. And he wants to see what we do with problems like this. So when we die, he's not going to say, well, did, you, did, you, did all your kids get married? Did they all go on missions? Did, did you and your wife go to the temple every month? Did, you know, he's not, it's not a checklist like that. It's how did you handle, how did you respond when your husband f- fell away? Or how did you respond when your, uh, you found that your son was getting drunk um, at 17 years old? Um, did you get angry and lash out? Did you do your best to express understanding um, and, and offer patience and support? Or, or, or how did you handle it, you know? So that's what I, I try to get people to, to understand I don't know that it always makes it easier, but sometimes understanding the big picture helps people um, realize that it's it's not the problem that's important. It's it's what you do with it. You know? I really appreciate that. I don't know if you remember, oh, it's been about a year and a half now, but there was a talk given by President Nelson and we we coin it the sad heaven talk. It was the talk where he talked about his, his daughter passing and how she had you know, done all of these milestone things and all of our children had gotten married on the temple. And, and after listening to it, it made me feel bad. It made me feel like, um, it just made me feel like, you know, there was one way to do things and, you know, things are going differently and are where we're at right now. But, um, I came to realize just what you said, Jason, that, you know, us turning our pain into healing for others and um, us becoming a, you know, better in our marriage and everything. I think like God looks on that too. And he supports that just as much as someone who quote unquote had a perfect Mormon life and, you know, lived to the ripe old age and saw all their kids get married in the temple. I, I still feel like it's just as valid. So I appreciate you saying that. It's, it's fairly natural in a culture to have an ideal to go for, right? I mean, and the church has that as well, obviously. I mean, there's the perfect Mormon family. And like we've said, everyone goes on mission. Everyone's getting baptized at eight and ordained at 12 and just line it all up and make it perfect. And, and um, I think that sometimes our church leaders also, you know, they hold their families up to say, look what a blessing it's been to us because they should. But you can find plenty of instances where these same leaders share where family members have gone astray or are astray, have returned or not returned. Um, there's books on the matter. And, um, and I think it's important to see, of course, that it's okay when things don't go the way you want them to go or people cause that to happen. I understand why some of these terms are used. And I think, obviously, I have a little post, post-Mormon hat on these days. And I can hear a lot of people listening, hearing words like led astray or fell away they have such a negative connotation to it. And it's, Oh yeah, I see. You know, and it's, it's, it's like, uh, I, I love how you say, um, things didn't go the way that you had thought they would, or things didn't go perfectly. They didn't go the way that you planned. 
the way that you thought in the marriage it was going to go. I think it's really important to, and not even to, to spare the feelings. Like I can handle even being told that the devil is, has won. I've been told that by, oh, wow, yeah. by family members. <laughs> um, I've been told the devil has won. And for me, I can just kind of roll my eyes and go, okay, well, <laughs> you, you think that. So it's not really to save, save the feelings. It's more of like, if we're going to have a healthy ongoing relationship, I should stay away from calling the church a cult. I should stay away from, from using a lot of those charged negative terms. And those that are still in should probably try to stay away from, from saying that the devil has led me away or, or I'm a, I'm an apostate now or things like that. And I've never gotten that feeling from you um, right. I, whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I hope you realize that I'm using terminology that, because I'm in the Mormon culture. <laughs> I get it. No, I, and, the, and yeah. absolutely. So I think that that's, that's where there's, there may be a, that's why I'm kind of doing this editorial, I guess you could say, because I know where you're at. I know where your heart's at. Like I've said at the beginning and in here in the middle, and I'll say it again at the end, I've never felt judged by you whatsoever. So I just hope that people can understand this is more of like a, this is the language that is used type of situation. And it's not you coming down on me. I don't feel that way at all. Okay, good. And I hope the listeners understand that that's truly how I feel to you. I don't, oh, wow, the devil got him. <laughs> well, that wascally wabbit. Yeah. yeah. What, what do I have to say about that? I just, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's, there's a, a way to, to lead with fear. You can, you can fear someone into doing the right thing and you can love someone into doing the right thing. And we want to love people into doing the right thing and not fear people into doing the right thing. Let's, let's keep asking some questions. So you mentioned earlier that there's really no specific training on this is what you do uh, when somebody comes in and, well, I think maybe you, you mentioned directly a mixed faith marriage, but are there resources that you can turn to or go to, or is there training that's been provided when it comes to somebody coming in that is going through a faith crisis or a faith transition? It's a good question. The answer is no. So no, no official church resources that I'm aware of. I, I'm sure that there's something on, you know, churchchrist.org that I could look up, but sure. No. So what do you do when someone comes in from the ward that says, oh my goodness, I've read all these things or I feel this way, whether it's social issues, church history issues, kind of what's your approach with someone like that? I've had, I've had many of those conversations before, of course. And, you know, some people are, well, there are, every case is different because some people are questioning, but they're, they will the church's side of it or my side of it, right? Which is kind of a mix of both. I mean, I can sense that or they make it clear. I really want to understand it on how the church feels about this or, or how you feel about it. And so we'll go through it, whatever the issue may be, you know, from Abrahamic texts to polygamy to first vision stuff to seer stones to you name it. The list yeah. is long. Um, and, um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll go that, through that together. Some people have already decided. They said, I really want my name removed from the church. Mm. And, and so, you know, and so that we have a conversation. And it, it varies from person to person. It just depends, really. Yeah, just depends. Jason, I just bought you the book Bridges, and it's oh, on yeah, Amazon. Really? Happy and birthday. It's, and it's being sent <laughs> to your house because it's an excellent resource, I think, for, for bishops, for pretty pretty much anyone that's in the church. We did an interview with David Osler, and 
um, I feel like it'd be really helpful. So anyway, I, as we were sitting here, I just did that. So you'll be receiving a copy in the mail. It's, it's really excellent. Actually, Alan is going to be doing audio version of it. Oh, are we announcing that on the podcast now? Oh, can it's I? fine. Yeah. yeah. I, we, um, I, I reached out to him and said, I think what you're doing is really important. I'd love to lend my vocal talents to the project and he <laughs> he reached out to the publisher and they said yes so uh it's just in the beginning uh stages of that so it'll be likely a number of months but thanks for doing that katie yeah you owe me 20 bucks jason so so you're actually going to read the text for yeah, like gonna, an audiobook i'm going to be the audiobook yeah oh my gosh that's so great hey yeah. thank you i i will read it i it's will really good it's very thank good you. so you mentioned that a number of people You've talked to a number of people in the in the almost five years that that you've been a bishop. If you had to just guess, how many conversations, how many faith transition type of experiences have you had as a bishop? Some you know serious I want out type of conversation. I'd say four. And our ward has, I would say, an average Sunday has about 165 attendees. So that gives you a flavor of how many I've seen in five years. You know that doesn't. That's probably not all of them, but those are the ones that have come to talk to me. And then I've had, you know, what would I call them? Lesser issues where people come in and say, hey, I read about this. What's, what's the church's official, doc, you know, this topic? You know, we can, we talk about those. Do they, do you tip, for those that are like, I want out, have there been any conversations you've had with the, like, other, the spouse or the daughter or the father that is still believing and they're, they're out looking for some, some help and advice as well? Yes, um, I have had. Um, some who come in quite, you know, desperate and upset, like they immediately came when they learned about it. Very similar to you, Katie. And so they're in that initial initial phase of shock and unbelief type of um, situation. And so that's when we've spent an hour or two talking, you know, trying, what I'm trying to do is calm them down and let them know, remind them who their spouse is and what kind of person they are and how lucky they are to be with them, you know. Fortunately, that's the kind of people that these um, departers were, you know, mm-hmm. so, so I can, you know, try to try to fill this um, difficulty that's now facing them. Here's one that's that I, I actually can ask from my own experience. Uh, a lot of people's experience is similar to mine, where when my beliefs changed, I didn't want my relationship with the church to change, whether that was a naive desire or not. Uh, I had no plans on stopping attendance. I even, uh, in August of 2017, renewed my temple recommend. So that was after our visit to Georgia and after your visit to Utah. A lot of, a lot of people feel that eventually it becomes untenable because you raise your hand and you make a comment that isn't well received. It's not against any of the teachings of the church, but it's not quite the, the standard narrative, I guess you could say. And all of a sudden you feel like you're an outsider and you don't feel like you're, you fit in. You don't feel like they want you there. And sometimes people tell you that, but other times it might be more inside. So I guess the question, the question is, you know, what is as a Bishop, what do you feel like the, the role of the attending unbeliever is what level of participation should they expect? Should they expect callings? What is the role of an unbeliever? Oh, that's a really good question. This is where I might get the answer wrong initially. <laughs> <laughs> we can release an update podcast. I have to think of, this is a thinking question that I'd have to spend some days on, I think. No doubt. I, I have had, um, I've, I've had some people who 
have left the church or are thinking about leaving it, wanting to, you know, have those discussions in, for instance, Sunday school um, or Relief Society, you know what I mean? As I looked into the handbook and talked to my stake president about that type of thing, I think it was correct to, to tell those people that, you know, Sunday school is not a discussion about controversial doctrines and, you know, controversial church history topics for good reason, that the church isn't going to contradict itself or, you know, get into those conversations when people, a majority of the people probably don't want to. I think the church would say that people are coming to church to partake of the sacrament and to learn the gospel in regards to, you know, that at church, that, that, that's, that's pretty much my advice. Um, I don't think, you know, knowing you, I don't think that you raised your hand to, to stir up trouble. Um, but you were in need of, of discussing it. And, and, you know, as a result, people who don't want to talk about that stuff, you sensed it, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there, I, I kind of learned pretty quickly that there were a few situations where what was being taught was not actually what the church teaches happened. And so I would raise my hand and say, that's actually not true. Uh, this is how it happened. And it would go, it would turn into a big back and forth. And it was, that was not easy. So talking with my bishop and actually worked with the stake president a little bit more than the bishop. I don't trust bishops. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, actually, I don't know why. I just I ended up working with the stake president a little bit more. We, we talked about an idea and I'm interested to hear what you think. And this is one of the questions that happens is like, look, gospel doctrine, gospel essentials, you just explain kind of what the purpose of that is. And in general, you, I, I recognize you did explain the purpose of Sunday meetings in general. This is what the purpose is not to get into those, you know, those high, high emotion topics that are really difficult. So one of the questions that someone in our position is, well, when, when is it time to, if, if it's not there, where is it? There is no time to get into mm-hmm. those difficult discussions. I think that's like that. I feel like that's a legitimate concern. So one of the recommendations is, could we have a, a second hour now that there's not three hours, could we have a second hour Sunday school class that's dedicated to talking about the gospel topics essays and keeping it all, you know, church sourced material, but talking about if for, I think the question says specifically parents and leaders of the youth of, Hey, parents and leaders, you should be familiar with these gospel topics essays. Some of the more difficult things, because your kids are going to learn about them. They're going to learn about them. Wouldn't you rather they learn from you (laughs) than, than from um, the cesletter.org about these things? Um, I mean, they talk, I mean, at least in seminary, they try to address some of the things, right? So they'll hear it one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, do you feel like there's maybe whether it's in your ward or a different ward, if there was sufficient interest, what would you think about that type of additional class for those that wanted to, to do that? Yeah, I would be open to that for sure. And, you know, I wouldn't force it, force it is the wrong word. I wouldn't have it as, you know, Today, we're not doing the Sunday school manual lesson for the week. We're going to talk about the right. polygamy history of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. That's what we're doing today. You know, 75% of the word would be uncomfortable. I don't, you know, I just want to kind of read the Bible, <laughs> you know, whatever we're doing this week. Sure. Um, but I wouldn't person leading that discussion in, in a separate classroom with adults who would be interested in learning what is the history of this and what's the church's official stand on this topic. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I think that's, that's a good approach. I would attend. I shoot, man. I'd teach the one on polygamy if you'd like me to. <laughs> I, 
probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but that's the class I'd want to go to. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's super fascinating. It's really interesting. It is fascinating. Another question, which is a fairly hot button topic for a lot of members and is actually, you know, one of the reasons, um, one of one of big reasons um, why some people decide to step away from the church is when they have um, an LGBTQ um, child or friend, or it could be anyone, but you know, a lot of times it's a, it's a child, someone in their immediate family um, that starts going through that. So from a Bishop perspective, how do you handle LGBTQ youth um, when it comes to like, temple recommends or church advancement? So that's a really good question because I've done it. The, the interesting thing, as a bishop, you, in, in many ways, you represent the church. I'm talking as a secular organization. Sure. And so I will follow the rules. I don't see it as my job to be a fringe, you know, bender or breaker of the rules. I'm just going to do what I'm told, basically. And that gives me leeway in certain areas. But there are boundaries that, that are definitely well-defined in the handbook of instruction. And when it comes to LGP, uh, I can't even say it right, LGBT <laughs> issues, forgive me, the, the rules, I think everyone pretty much knows them. The church has instructed bishops that when have, it's the wrong term to say those issues, but when people have that, it's, they can participate in everything in the church. But if they actually pursue it and, and into action, meaning participate in a homosexual relationship, for instance, then, then that, that's where the line has been crossed. I've, I've had a young, you know, I've had a young youth tell me that, you know, I have figured out that I'm attracted to the same gender. I consider myself homosexual. In this day and age, that's not shocking. People are open about it. It doesn't shock me. It doesn't bother me. I didn't think any less of the kid, of course, love the kid. I've grown up with the kid for his whole life, you know, but, you know, I teach them that, you know, if you pursue that and, you know, get a partner and do sexual things with them, then here, here's where the, the limits are, basically. Uh, we don't need to get into, you know, all of the natural responses, someone that doesn't agree with the church's stance, what that response would be. So rather than challenge you on that, which I don't think is the purpose of this interview, I'd say, you know, if someone after that conversation decides, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue those relationships anyway. And I understand what the consequences of that are. Is that something that you understand, like why someone would go about doing it that way? You know, like if someone chooses to pursue it and, and, and uh, get it, you know, for instance, in that example, have a relationship. I don't, I don't know exactly what you're and trying to pull them in the office and say, Hey, look, you broke the rules. Give me your temple recommend. And you know, you're not, uh, we're going to hold a court and, you know, we're, we're just not aggressive like that. Like I'm not out to go and punish people, but if, if they choose to have a relationship and they do get into sexual activity with the same gender or the opposite gender, and they come in and say, Hey, I want a temple recommend. I mean, I'm going to follow the rules that I, I have to follow as a Bishop. Um, I, I think that yeah. a, a likely a more common scenario would be, Thanks, Bishop, for telling me, you know, if I pursue this, I'm not going to be able to continue in, in advancement or in temple participation. I'm going to do it anyway. Right. So I forego going to the temple and I forego that. I, we've spoken with a number of bishops that get it. They're like, I understand. I mean, that you're in a difficult situation. You've made that choice. 
I imagine, I don't know, I, I guess I'm prompting you <laughs> to give the answer that I think you're going to give of just, isn't that, isn't that a situation that you, you get it, you understand why they would choose that. Oh, totally. Yes. Totally. Right. I right. totally and, understand. Yeah. Believe me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's, I totally get it. We're trying to provide a model here for conversation where we're brothers, you're a bishop, I'm an ex, well, I'm still a member, but I'm an ex-believer. And uh, we don't agree on everything. And this is one of the topics we don't agree on, but that's okay. We're trying to provide a model for being able to disagree and do so respectfully. We're also, hopefully the, the listeners can appreciate the balance that Katie and I have to take on this podcast where we don't, we've, we've just talked more about a specific topic that is extremely, extremely controversial in, in the church. Um, we've talked more about that than we have any other specific issue in the history of our 77 episodes. So the same gender attraction or homosexuality issue or what? Yeah. I mean, we just, we just got more specific into one issue than we really, don't you think? Anyway, what I'm trying to say is we recognize how difficult this balance is and hopefully the listeners can feel it. We're trying to be respectful to our guests. We're trying to represent both sides of belief between Katie and I, you know, I'm, I'm holding back from like pushing. I don't want to push on you uh, I know. as a bishop or as a brother. I don't feel like that's the purpose of this, this, this episode. Anyway. I get it. And I don't, I don't mind if you push. I really don't. I know it's not your purpose and that's not what, what your um, podcast is about. So I, I get it. But I don't mind if you push. I, and I know that about you. We've had a lot of fun conversations. <laughs> and I don't feel like we've ever crossed the line with, yeah. with each other at all. There's no such thing as a line in the Mount right. family. <laughs> there are no lines and there are no boundaries in the Mount family. Okay. So, and it's so funny because I'm wearing my love loud, which was a, <laughs> which is a pride concert. Here. And, like this is my, I'm wearing that shirt. We're flying a pride flag out there. Um, so yeah, I feel very strongly about these topics. Uh, now, you, you know about my extended family as well. Yeah. And so, you know, we have relatives that are in full-blown loving relationships mm-hmm. that the, the church would not permit, meaning, you know, membership even. But we know what kind of people they are, and they're fantastic people. And yeah. they're the kind of people who would clothe any naked person, you know, give water to any thirsty person, visit them when they're in prison. So they'll be on the right hand as well. Love it. That's a good canvas to Jesus that, is to that topic. <laughs> me thinks he wouldn't be let's ask this so is there ever a valid reason for leaving the church to deepen one's relationship with divinity and do you have any examples of what that might look like i personally think yes i do now that's probably not a um church line answer to give but who am i to to really know where the lord's going to guide someone so i mean kind of like what i said earlier i don't think the lord is greatly concerned with how you believe, but more importantly, um, how you act, especially towards others. It's, that's really, really important to him, obviously. He really cares how you treat other people. So that's really important. And do I think that the Lord himself may guide someone away from the church and then uh, teach them things that he wants them to learn? I don't really know. I, I, I would never put that past him. But what I do know is that if someone does leave the church, I don't believe that he no longer loves them or cares, obviously. And I do know that he's a master t- 
teacher and can certainly use that to, to advance the child who he loves very much, um, whether they're attending or even believes in him. I can get so I've, I've kind of learned this, you know, I've done a lot of learning since our family has gone through this. You know, there was this ignorance of um, this experience in our family because all six kids were very, you know, TBM is what I call, you know, true blue Mormon. Yeah. Uh, and then, then our father was killed by a drunk driver's through. Um, and I think that kind of, st- I don't know if that was the, the spark that started the fire, but it was after that, that things started changing. It might be the wrong terminology, but really only two of us are active, right? Out of four. But as I look at my siblings, there is no love lost. I have no bad feelings towards any of them. And I know that they're, they're such fantastic people who would do anything for anyone. And so I realize that uh, the Lord thinks the same way, I think, about all six of us. You know, and there's, there's some people that I'm close to who no longer believe in even God or Jesus, for instance. And I don't think that the Lord blinks an eye at that. It's, it's really funny that you say that because I've said the same exact thing to you or to others that I've had conversation on this topic with in regards to my own belief. You know, you mentioned earlier, I I have the added benefit of having been in your position before, as far as belief goes, having been in Katie's position before as belief goes. So I know the God of the LDS church, and that's a weird way to put it, but I know that God from my whole upbringing, let's say that I am wrong about his existence, Christ divinity, the church being true or not, everything that's, that you've said is so funny because I, on the other side of belief, I said the same thing to people that asked me, like, aren't you worried about what's going to happen in the afterlife? I say, no, I'm not. Because if God is there and he knows my intent, he knows what I'm trying to do here. He knows that I've, I put what I felt was the right thing to do and the true way to live the best way that I know how. He knew that that's what I was trying to do. I wasn't lazy. I wasn't, I was anything but lazy. I, I cared much about it. We've put, we've put thousands of hours into this podcast, dedicating it to helping other couples. Like there's, there's no part of me that, that he could point at. I'm, I'm not perfect, of course, but there's no part of, of my intent that he could point at and say, I just don't, I just don't see it. I die and go and uh, God and Jesus are hanging out and they're like, Hey, Alan, uh, sorry. I know that there were nine different versions of the the first vision and that was confusing or, or, or whatever, but you made a, you made a wrong choice and now you're never going to see your wife again. But Too you, bad you made the wrong choice. <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works. No, <laughs> I, exactly. So, I mean, and I'm not even like hedging my bets here. I, I, I agree with you. And I think that's the beautiful thing is we can believe very differently, but we can, we can still have so much in common and just live harmoniously in our differences. And that's completely, I I think this is an interesting point because something that I've thought with you, Jason, you and I have never had a debate. We've never had a debate about any of the reasons why I left. And I think I know why I don't think it's because I don't think it's because I don't want to hurt our relationship. I don't think it's because you don't, um, you don't care. Mm -hmm. I, I think that it's because it just doesn't matter to us. And I've, yeah. I've always felt that from you. I think that the, the people, the family members, the friends, the neighbors that it's hard not to fight with are those that it is a problem for them. Family members that 
And it's happened to me that that will treat me differently, that will treat us differently because we're living a different life than what uh, they think is, is the right way to live. It's, it's very hard not to say, you know what? We need to sit down because I need to teach you something. And I've never <laughs> felt like we had to do that because it just doesn't matter. Our relationship has not yeah. been affected by any of this. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm proud of that actually. And, and it's, it's real. It comes, it, I, I like, see, I look at people. So after having raised almost fully raised five children, um, you realize that they are at different stages they act differently. So, you know, the two-year-old is going to be a brat sometimes, and you understand that and uh, because that's the status they're in, and then they outgrow it. Now, if you have a kid that's seven and acts like a two-year-old, then you've got a problem and you have to teach them, and they're not supposed to do that type of thing. But two are more intelligent and, you know, and more mature than I am or was at that age, and, um, and so that's neat. They've grown and developed. You can see the difference in human beings of all, just ignore age. I can go driving down the street and there's going to be a guy, you know, that's 30 years old, smoking a cigarette, full of tattoos with his girlfriend with whom he has two children and who flips me off and cuts me off and goes the other way. Right. And then there's the guy, uh, you know, I have to go to a Baptist church, for instance, and their understanding of the gospel, the Bible and how the savior really is. Um, they reflect it better than I do. And I'm not holding myself up as some great example. They just, they're just better at it than I am. And their patience with people, their love for people, their understanding, you know, is deeper than mine. And I recognize it. That person is a higher level than me. They're more mature. They're, they've grown further. Or that flipped me off as he drove down the street is he's a lower level. He's a spiritual two-year-old. And, and I think that what my point is, is that when my kids were two or I have a, you know, an 11 year old now who does stupid things because he's 11, I understand him and it's okay that he's doing those things because that's the level that he is spiritually and mentally. When I think when the Lord looks at, you know, the guy that's covered in tattoos and smoking cigarettes and sleeping with his girlfriend, he, he doesn't think the same that I will be judged because they're in a different state in their spiritual maturity. They're a two year old spiritual child. And they're doing what two-year-old spiritual children do. And the Lord died for that man and understands them fully and will spend his time shaping his life and bringing him into a, a, a greater stage of spiritual maturity. And when that guy dies, whatever his existence like is next, the Lord will continue to teach and enable him to grow. Okay, People and understand that's how the Lord looks at them. Um, it helps you to understand everyone in every situation. And it's not condescending. I don't look at my brother and say, well, you know, he's fallen away from the church, in quotes. So, you know, I have greater understanding than, than he does, and he's less mature than me. It, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't the, feel that more, Yeah. Somehow the, the atonement taught him um, everything you, about it. And he, he's not going to discard people. When you have someone who is going through a faith transition or is deciding to leave the church, what's the best piece of advice you can give a couple in our situation who come to you in the early stages? Um, what, what advice would you give to our listeners as a bishop? Oh, wow. Oh, boy, that's another one, Katie. You, <laughs> um, you would tell them to listen to our podcast, wouldn't you? I would. <laughs> and you know what? I actually, not to butter you up, but I have said you – 
I suggest that you listen to Marriage on a Tightrope, the, the podcast, because you guys are talking about things that I don't have time to talk about and I don't have the understanding. Of. <laughs> right. um, so that's good helping people. I know it may sound redundant, but trying I've said it before, trying to get people to see things as the Lord sees them can really help them not be judgmental of one another and to be patient and listen and try to learn. If you really look at his life, he did not hate people. So that was one thing. He taught what he believed and just let it be without being aggressive or, um, or arguing, you know? And so I think if, if couples, if there's one person in a couple who quote believes unquote, and one member who doesn't, such as in your relationship, I think that it's good advice to not argue those points together. Generally speaking, Mm -hmm. it's not helpful there's a lot of points in church doctrine or, or history that there is no winner. You can't prove it either way. I've listened to many podcasts and did a lot of reading on all of it. You can't prove it one way or the other. There's either not enough evidence or you can interpret it any way you want. And so you're never going to come to the right answer, if you know what I mean. So it's not worth arguing about those, those things. And then above all, both sides need to really look at their partner and, and determine if, if they're a good person and if they are a loving person because in in most relationships that's the case nowadays because the ones that aren't don't last so even if there's a difference in 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 faith and in in your religion if you're loving each other and your children if there are children and your goal is to create a home where they're safe and they and they're loved then that's a rare thing and it's beyond religion and I think the Lord thinks the same way. And finally, I want to say that you really look at how he's handled his family when he's put them on the earth, if that's what you believe, for 6,000 years or longer, however you think. Most of the time, he places them here without religion, in most cases, or a religion that's different than Christianity. And certainly than a religion that's, yes, most of the time, that's how people are put on in the earth. So, I mean, that should tell, it tells me that that's not the point. You know, it's not, it's not the point and it's not a priority for him. There are other priorities. Beautifully said. would be the beginning of uh, about two hours of advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Softball question to end it. What are your thoughts on pineapple as a pizza topping? And if a person likes pineapple as a pizza topping. I really can't stand it. And hold on. Oh. We're asking as a bishop. Uh, if a person likes and acts upon these feelings. Can yeah. they qualify for temple recommend? <laughs> no. No. You heard it here first. No. Disfellowshipment is the least of, of what happened. <laughs> that would mean I would not get the temple recommend. That's ironic. That's true. That is ironic. Katie's the one that likes the, the pineapple on the pizza. Hand it over, Katie. Hand me over. Polynesian. I like it on everything. That's no, true. That's- and the very last thing that I'll read, <laughs> the very last thing that I'll read, Jason, is uh, the right way to end it. Our good friend, Dave Gravett. He was one of the five virgins in that story, right? He said, uh, please thank him for being brave enough to walk into this topic and address it in an unscripted situation. Oh, that's very kind. And, and I saw all the questions. I know we didn't get to all of them because I'm very verbose, but I would be happy to return and answer all of them anytime you want. That's awesome. We love you a lot. You represented yourself and our family very well. <laughs> <laughs> 
it sucks living in Utah with you, one of my best friends and brothers living so far away because we just don't get to see each other enough. You're, you're totally right. That's the hard part. It's really difficult. That had clue in the Father's Day gift. That's right. I'm headed, headed your way July 15th, assuming that COVID doesn't shut everything down again. It's going to be fun. I think you, Cameron, and I should just debate religious topics and the existence of God the entire time. The whole time. Oh, That's it. No, but you can only do it through YouTube videos and TikTok videos. <laughs> <laughs> TikTok alone. This yeah. is who we're dealing with is my brother Jason got onto TikTok a year before any of us, any, any of us in the family did. Yeah. A year before. He is the trendsetter. I'm the 51-year-old father, almost grandfather, who plays Fortnite and watches TikTok and just anything that's immature, I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why our relationship works. It's great. Jason, thank you so much. Can't wait to see you in a few weeks. If we have you on for another one, we'll we'll make sure you're better prepared. You thought you did an awesome job. Yeah. And thank you very much. Oh, we love you, you lots. You guys are doing a great job helping people. And well, you're very kind. You're both brave. And I'm not just looking at Katie. <laughs> you're both brave. If if people could could see and know your kids and how they treat each other and how they treat other people, they would know that they are growing up in a home that the Lord would be very happy with. It means a lot uh, coming yeah. from you, big brother. When it's done, we're gonna see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't wanna leave. Cause if change is what you need, you can change right next to me. When you're high, I'll take the lows. You can ebb and I can flow. We'll take it slow and grow as we go.